We're beginning a new series today, and it's entitled Identity Crisis. What a fitting series for the time that we live in in the world today, because we are seeing uh, crisis all around us. We are seeing uh, Christians that are being persecuted for their faith in such a public way that we have never witnessed before, uh, since maybe the early church in the first century. We are seeing the words of, of, of the scriptures coming to life as people are literally losing their lives because they are followers of Jesus. You were with us a few weeks back as we had Pastor Gassan Thomas with us, a refugee pastor from Iraq, someone who is on terrorist most wanted list. We shared with you uh, on that Sunday about the pressing need and persecution and the reality of what it means to live for Jesus in a hostile area, in a world that is growing darker. Little will we know that that very day, 21 Christians, a video released of 21 believers, marched onto uh, the shores uh, in, in Libya and their lives were taken. Not because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not because they uh, just simply looked different than they did. Not, not just because of where they lived. It was because of their faith in Jesus. And what that video said was this is a message signed in blood to the nation of the cross to followers of Jesus. There was a message being sent. They died, church, because their identity was in Christ. They lived for Jesus and then they died for Jesus. They're an example of the heroes of the faith that we read about in scripture. They weren't victims, they were martyrs. But they were those who are an example to us of those who have their identity firmly planted in Christ. Because when the storms come, Jesus said where your foundation is, and what that means is where your identity truly is is what will last. If you just come to church and think that that makes you a Christian, then go sit in a garage for a while, maybe you'll become a car, or go sit in a supermarket, maybe you become a, a you know, carton of eggs or something. Um, that doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't mean that your identity is in Christ just because of where you occupy. It matters what's happening inside of your heart and what's going on in the foundation of your life. And so identity crisis is for those who say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm not sure, is my identity truly in Christ? And we need to be challenged with that reality because I believe that as I've seen the persecution that's breaking out around the world and how small the church is in pockets, if persecution were to break out in our country today, how many would simply say, you know what, this is just too much for me. I don't want to put up with it. I'm good. I'm just going to go back to my old life. And how many will step forward and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to live for you and I would even die for you because I love you, because you're my everything. When we are caught in that tension, we are living in an identity crisis between who God's created and called us to be and who we used to be. And so often that old life wants to pull us back, but we're going to learn from God's word what it means to have our identity in him. Now, I talked to you about this crisis, this crisis of terrorism and how scary that can be and how much that can fill you with anxiety and fear. But there's a greater crisis that's plaguing the church in America today that's especially plaguing our culture. And it's a crisis that is very dangerous. It's one that we need to pay attention to because it has a significant impact on the world around us and where we are going in our faith and as the church at large. And to understand that, we're going to look at God's word but before we do that, I want to just give you some background to, to help you understand uh, kind of a universal truth that we see in history, in Scripture, and in the world we live today. And the truth is this, that when a society has removed God from the center, has removed worship of God and truly having him at the center of, of civilization, of a nation, 
that the value of life begins to diminish greatly. That as God is removed and more and more removed, you will literally see the value of life changing, the value of someone's identity changing as well. And the more that we're realizing it, the more confused people are becoming about their identity when God is removed from the center. It become, you become confused. You don't know who you are. People have questions about who they are and why they exist. And, and, and there's all kinds of lines of things. And we'll discuss some of those in the weeks to come. But that's the truth that we need to really understand because that's what begins this identity crisis. It's when people don't really understand who they are anymore. And we see this as we go into God's word here. And in the book of Genesis, you encounter a story of a man named Abram, and Abram was one that God spoke to and made a promise to and said, one day, you're going to be the father of many nations, and I'm going to lead you into a new place, a new land. You're not going to be a sojourner anymore. You're not just going to wander around as a nomad. You are going to have a beautiful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You will experience my blessing. You will be my people, and all people will be blessed through your family line. Well, he had to trust God greatly because he couldn't have a child, and then they conceived. They had a child. They had Isaac, and, and Isaac carried on that promise, and then Isaac had children, and Jacob was one of his children, and Jacob carried on that promise, and, and Jacob then had many sons, and whenever he had those children, one of them, his name was Joseph, and Jacob loved Joseph very much, although he was younger in the family. His brothers didn't like the attention that he was getting, and Joseph was someone who dreamed, who had visions from God, who God had planted a vision in his heart. And it was one of greatness. It was one of power. It was one of success. And he was excited about the vision that God had given him. But he had no idea that before he could step into that vision, he would have to go through a time of adversity, suffering. And as we've been going through over the last month, he had to go through a season of stillness, a time where Everything wasn't making sense. A time where he's in the bottom of a pit or sitting in a prison, all because he's being faithful to what God has revealed to him. And in the midst of that, God does the unthinkable. God rescues him. He gives him favor and blessing. And when he becomes a prisoner in Egypt, he raises up out of a jail cell, out of a pit and then out of a prison, and he becomes the prime minister over all of Egypt. He becomes the second in command. Isn't that the God that we serve? A God who's that faithful, who can take us and lift us out of a pit and redeem us completely. And not just use him to be a blessing to his family, but to actually bless, to bless Egypt, to bless all those people, and to bless the world as a result of it. That when they went through famine, uh, Joseph was a key and integral part of that. Now they knew it wasn't just Joseph, but it was the God that Joseph worshipped. And so his family relocated to Egypt, and as they relocated to Egypt, they enjoyed blessing, prosperity. They began to increase in number. They began to grow. And as they did, there was a looming threat. There was a crisis that was on its way to them that they were not paying attention to, that they were not aware of. Because we will see over time, in just a few generations, they would end up going from the children of God to captives, slaves in Egypt. Their whole identity changed in what seemed like an instance. But there's a lesson here that we have to learn in Genesis 50 because it's something that Joseph understood. It's something that he pleaded with the next generation about. It's something he pleaded with his family about because he needed them to know it or they could fall prey to something other than what God had for them. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 50 starting in verse 24. 
It says this, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So this is an, an interesting request that we get from Joseph. He says this, he says, I'm about to die, but I promise you, I know that I know that I know that the God who promised is faithful, and that this may seem great today. What we are experiencing may seem like a great blessing, but it's not the best that God has for us. God has something greater. God has a plan and a purpose that he is unfolding, and he will act upon his promise, and he will bring us up out of this land. We, they probably thought that they were on top of the world, but he says this isn't all that God has for us. Don't become confused. In fact, I'm so sure of it that I don't even want my bones to rest here. That whenever God takes you to that place, pick up my bones and carry them as well. Because I so believe in the place that God's leaving us that that's where I want my final resting place to be. That's where I want my identity to be. I am sold out to the promise that God has for us. And because it was a significant moment. You know why? Because it was a moment infused with faith. It was one full of faith. Whenever the author of Hebrews looks back over the story of God's redemptive history, he hones in on Joseph, and this is what he says about him in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. It says, by faith Joseph. It doesn't say Joseph rescued, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel, and he gave orders concerning his bones. That was the act of faith. It was the, the, the thing that he is known for as this example of faith is that he so believed in God's promise that he didn't become consumed with the present. He did not allow the present to outweigh God's promise. And sometimes you go through some level of success in this life, some level of affluence, some significance that you achieve, and so quickly you lose out, you miss out, you take your focus off of the promise of God, and you become very satisfied living in the today living in the blessings of this day, living in the, the, the fleeting uh, hopes and excitements that come along. And as he watched his family enjoying all these blessings and what was seen as the greatest, one of the greatest empires ever, one of the greatest nations and civilizations that we've heard of, he said, don't become so consumed with this that you miss out on God's promise because the day's going to come that he's going to rescue us out of here. And they weren't slaves yet. They weren't, they weren't anywhere. They were enjoying all the benefits of it he said, no, 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 God's going God's to bring us to the place he really has for us. That's our identity. We're the people of God. We're not the people of Egypt. We're the people of God. That's our identity. And he died, and time went on, and that crisis, that, that, that thing that plagues so many today plagued them as well. It was this. It was complacency. Complacency. Complacency is, is the comfortability in your current circumstance and becoming unaware of the fact that there's a great threat pressing in on you. See, in complacency, you allow your guard to come down. And during complacency, you become very comfortable and satisfied with the status quo. 
You see, what happened over time is that as they began to multiply, it says, if you flip right over to the next page, it begins Exodus chapter 1, that they began to multiply. And generations went by, and they're living, and they're occupying the land, and they're growing. They're doing exactly what God said to, uh, to humanity in the garden, be fruitful and multiply. They got that down. They were multiplying. They were being very fruitful. And it started to threaten, it started to threaten the Egyptians. Now, there were many that knew. They knew the story of the God of, of these people. They knew the story of Joseph. But it says in the text that there was a new Pharaoh in town. He didn't know Joseph and he didn't know the God that Joseph worshipped. And as God was removed, the value of their lives began to plummet. Their identity began to change for the worse. And as he did not acknowledge God, the God who had called them, the God who created them, the God who said, they are my people, he became threatened by them. And here's what he says. Here's what he says to them in Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 1 verse 11. He says to the people, uh, the, the Egyptians, to make them Israelites their slaves. And so he went ahead, he appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. And they forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And then the more alarmed that the Egyptians became, right? So the more they pushed them down and tried to stop them, the more they grew, the more they grew, the more paranoid and, uh, and, and really uh, alarmed they became. So the Egyptians worked with the people. Uh, they worked them without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks to do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. And then the Pharaoh comes, the king of Egypt, and he gave an order to the Hebrew midwives. And he says, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. And if the baby's a boy, then kill him. If it's a girl, then you can let her live. What a drastic difference. Night and day. Going from enjoying the benefits of living and occupying this land and all the blessings that are entailed to becoming slaves. And as they became slaves and oppressed, their identity changed. And then to go even further, that they said, we're going to begin to work towards making them extinct. This was a genocide that was in place. That we will just begin to systematically eliminate them. Do you know how you can make those kind of calls if you have so devalued their lives that you say they're worth nothing more than labor in the fields to work them to the bone, and whenever they are not worth it anymore, then that's all they were worth, so they could just die then in the fields. We do not care. Push them as hard as we can. And then beyond that, they said, they're as good for us as they are for just to be women so they can marry into our families and help us repopulate the earth and continue to grow as a people. See, they so devalue them because everything about the decision of that society, the world, the brokenness of the world around us, it's always self-preserving, right? See, our hearts are always self-preserving. And if we are leading our own lives, if we are calling all the shots, and we are not acknowledging God at the center as the highest one that we are supposed to worship, the one that we are supposed to follow and obey, then the desires of our hearts will always be to serve ourselves. And so the leader over the people at that time, who was not worshiping the living God, he was worshiping a bunch of idols, 
His heart was what the heart of the people became, self-preserving. We're going to do what's right by us, and we don't care. We do not value their lives or their identity enough that they should even live past birth. See, as God's removed, the value of their identity is deeply diminished. And the crisis comes with that complacency which led to it. And there's a quote that just resonates so deeply in my heart, and I believe it really sets the course for what we're talking about today. And it's this, that today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. That today's complacency is, is going to be tomorrow's captivity. That if we live lives comfortable, just thinking we can go through the motions, thinking that we can skirt the line, thinking that we can just live however we want to, that complacency in our lives today will equal captivity tomorrow. We will become a slave to something or someone. And that's exactly what happened. The people of God went through a season of that complacency. They became very comfortable in the land that, that God had called them to be in for a season. But they began to throw down roots. They began to forget about God's promise and where he was going to lead them. And all they got caught up in was today, the complacency, the going through the motions. And as a result of it, they were soon captives. So their identity was changed from the children of God to captives, from sons and daughters of the Most High to slaves. Their identity shifted, and they then only knew that new identity, the identity that they were given as slaves, ones that were trapped, ones that were oppressed, ones that had no hope, no future, no rights, nothing. They could not see beyond to anything greater. And in fact, they became accustomed to the fact that their very children were being killed. And these Hebrew midwives, they were having to be a part of that. And so they had to look into their hearts and see that they were taking part in the extermination of their people. If you go through that kind of trauma, if you go through those kinds of experiences, if you're around a group of people or someone that all they ever tell you is that you're worth nothing, do you know what happens? You start to feel like you're not worth anything. Same thing that happened when they're getting ready to go into the promised land, that whenever they're doing all the comparison game, they say, man, we felt like grasshoppers, and so we became like grasshoppers. Your identity is so caught up so often in those kinds of environments and as people. I mean, I've heard stories about parents who have said point blank to their children, I wish I never had you. How do you think that that shapes someone? To look at a spouse and say, I wish I never married you. It makes them feel helpless, worthless. It makes them feel as though, where is their identity? Who sees me? Who notices me? Who loves me? There are people that have gone through this life and because of bullying and peer pressures and all kinds of things of the brokenness of this world, they're dealing with all kinds of issues of their identity and who they are. Wondering, does anyone know me? Does anyone understand me? And you know what the, the dangerous part is? The first person to give a lending ear and a loving arm will, will get their heart. And they'll open their whole lives up. And that will normally lead them into all kinds of sin and difficulty and more pain and more hurt. You need to know today if I'm talking to you, and, I'm, and I may be in the size of a room like this, that maybe you went through life and you've heard some of those kinds of things and those have helped to shape your identity and you've carried around that baggage, those wounds about, man, like, who am I? And does God even love me? Does anyone see me? You do need to know 
That there is one who understands you when you think no one else does. There's one who sees you and knows you better than you know yourself. There's one who loves you more than you love yourself and more than anyone in this world loves you. And if today, if you're reading in the season of stillness, as we're reading on today as we come to one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the Bible, Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, verse 13, this is what it says. For you created my inward, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to pass. This is the God who knows us. This is the God who created us. Do you want to know why? Why we can never know who we are, why our identity is so impacted when God is removed from the equation? Because we cannot know who we are until we can understand whose we are. We cannot understand who we are until we understand whose we are, who we belong to, who created us, who loves us. Without us knowing our maker and the lover of our soul, we cannot even understand our own identity because we bear the image of God. We are created in his image, and therefore we will wander around trying to figure out who we are until we see the one who created us, until we know the one who made us, who knit us together. See, we focus so much on just wondering who we are, but you need to ask the question, whose am I? Who do I belong to? This is a quote that Pastor Brennan had shared uh, with us and with me at some point uh, over the years here, and it just has so resonated. We often think about who we are, but we need to be thinking about whose we are, to whom we belong, and we belong to the Lord, and he loves us and he sees us. He sees us in our deepest sin. He sees us at our darkest hour. He sees us at our greatest place of success. He sees us when we're near to him and when we want to be far from him. He sees us. And you may think no one else has seen, but he sees. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 3, because the Lord points that out. He, he, he reveals that because he saves one of these Hebrew boys that's going to be killed named Moses. And as Moses grows older, he actually grows up in Pharaoh's home. He grows up right there in all the luxury of the palace. But God gets his attention one day through a burning bush. And in chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord says this, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, and I am aware of their sufferings. Just look in verse 7. All this, I have seen. I have given heed. I am aware. God knows. He's paying attention. He's turned his ear to them. And he says this, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land. He said, I'm going to bring them to a new place. He says, I've seen them. I've heard their cry. They're my children, and I'm coming to rescue them. I'm going to come and bring them up with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I will redeem them. I will set them free. You need to know that today, if you've been through some type of suffering, today, if you've been through something where, where you feel that you have no value, there is a God who created us, who loves us, 
who loves you, who has an incredible heart for you reaching your full potential. He has a plan for your life. It doesn't matter if someone else says, hey, you weren't planned. It doesn't matter because the God of the universe knit me together, not you. And God has a plan for me. And God has a future for me. And I tell you what, I feel that we take on the name Christian, but we don't truly believe that we have an identity in Christ, that he has a real plan and a purpose for us, that it was known before we were known, before our name or before a hair showed up on our head, God has mapped out a purpose for our lives that we could walk in. And God cares so much. But again, in societies where God is not valued, God is not at the center, when God's taken out of the equation, the value of life is measured by sinful hearts. And sinful hearts that are self-preserving can see things so crooked. And because of that, we have atrocities that we're living with today. Christine Kane has said it, that there are more slaves today in the world than there's ever been in the history of mankind. There are people who have been taken captive as slaves, and the only value they have is through human trafficking, being sold from one person to another. The only value they bring is to make someone money. They're not a person or a source of income for someone. They're enslaved. And that's the identity that is now shaping their lives. There are others who are children who are left as orphans. Parents who have children that are born with, with special needs or deformities and because of that, the parents will just leave them in the streets or leave them to die, leave them for someone to maybe find them. This issue is rampant in different uh, countries, especially uh, it's been made known in, in South Korea. And there in South Korea, uh, as that's happening, there was a pastor. His name was Pastor Lee. And Pastor Lee became aware of this need. He became aware of the problem. And he saw how children were being left in gutters and left in trash cans, left with their umbilical cords still attached, and just walked away from abandon. And this man loved the Lord so much, and he said, this, this doesn't line up with what God's word says. This isn't what their identity is. God has a plan for them. And you know what he started to do? He started to try to rescue them. It got to the point in 2009 where he went into the side of his house and he cut out a hole in the side of his house. He put in what seemed to look like a safety deposit box or a giant mailbox. He heated it. He put down some linens and he put a sign there that any mother who did not have a child that she wanted, she could bring the child and place that child in that box and he would take care of it himself. And so from that time until today, that's what's been happening. It was first called the baby box. It's now being called the drop box where parents are coming and they're dropping these babies off, babies with special needs, with deformities, or ones that did just weren't, weren't able, they were too overwhelmed with life and they just didn't want to have the baby or worry about the baby. Since so he's welcomed them into his home. He's nursed them back to health. He's helped them get adopted and he's adopted 10 of them on his own. He's been taking care of them. And what we found out is now in theaters, Focus on the Family has caught a glimpse of this because there's a young man, his name was Brian. Some years ago, as it was written in the newspapers here in America, uh, the, the, the paper picked it up, an L.A. newspaper picked up a report that was given from a uh, South Korean uh, news outlet and then they published it. And this young man, this college student that was going to USC uh, doing film, he picks it up. His name is Brian. Brian doesn't know God. He doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, nothing. He, he looks at it. He's so moved by what he sees. And he says, you know what? There are animal rights activists. 
there are, uh, there are all these saved to this and the, the Redwoods. And what about people? Like, do there, are there anyone, like, people's lives matter as well. And maybe I should do something about this. So he gets on Kickstarter and he puts together a campaign. And that's literally what he writes in it. Like, uh, you know, in the same way that there are animal activists, there should be people activists. And I want to be a people activist for this guy who's rescuing these babies. So if you give me $20,000, I'm going to go out and I'm going to film a documentary. And the pastor said I can come and stay with him for six days and film it. And so they do. They raise the money. And this kid, Brian, he goes over there. And when he sits with him in 2011 for just six days, and they begin to film this, Brian, who left all, all of the success of, of this world and this side of, of, of civilization and went there, he thought he was going to do them a favor, but his life was changed as a result of it. He went there trying to learn about their, their identity, and he learned something about his own identity. I want you to watch this video clip that gives some background to his story and what's happening there. It's a sad fact, hundreds of unwanted babies are abandoned on the streets of Seoul, South Korea every year. Many of them do not survive. And this tragic loss of life moved a pastor to set up a way for saving unwanted babies. I first read an article about Pastor Lee in June of 2011. And it was all about this pastor in South Korea who had built a mailbox for abandoned babies. It was like this guy had built a bunker for babies and was defending it with his life and saying, no one dies here. And I was compelled by that immediately. I flew to South Korea to make a movie about saving babies, and I had no idea God was going to save me. So I became a Christian while making this film. And so Pastor Lee changed everything because he showed me what God's love was really like. This guy, isn't that amazing? He goes, he has no idea what he's stepping into. He thinks he's going to make this moving documentary. And he's so moved. You know why? Because he saw the heart of God. He saw God's potential that God would love these children so much that God would even love him. And he realized that he was going there looking at these babies being saved. He needed saving himself. And now his identity is in Christ. His life has been shaped, has been changed because someone saw the need. They saw people as God sees them. And we need people to start to see people like God sees them again, right? We need to start to have that kind of value when God is put at the center. Look at this next part of this clip, and it shows what's inscribed on the box as every parent comes by. And I want you to watch this. And you're actually going to see one child being rescued as the alarm goes off and Pastor Lee rushes to pick up a child. My you hear what he says there? Thank you, God, for saving this child's life. He said that's the prayer that he prays every time that that alarm goes off. 
He's just thankful because he knows there's potential. He knows there's hope for this child. He knows there's a future for them now because God can, can protect them and lead them towards that. Now, Pastor Lee, we have a picture of him with all of his children. He has several children in his home that he's taking care of, that he's adopted, that he's helped uh, find families all around. They now have an identity. They have an identity in the future. Why? Because someone had their identity in Christ and because of that, they reflected it to those around them that they weren't orphans anymore, that they weren't slaves to the ways of this world anymore. And in that moment in time, God intervened in their lives. But you know what? There's a greater story. There's a greater story. It's the greatest story ever told. Because at the fullness of time, the Bible says, at the pinnacle, the climax of God's revealed history, at that key moment, the greatest moment in human history, God sent forth his son into the world. It says in Galatians 4, uh, 4, 4, that he was born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we could receive adoption as sons, that we could be adopted into God's family. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts that you could cry, Abba, Father. And he hears you because you're now his child. And you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. Today, this is our identity, church. It's not as slaves caught and trapped by sin. It's not one that's held ransom by the ways of this world anymore. We've been set free. We've been adopted into God's family. Why? Because he came and did what Pastor Lee said he would do. He said, I will die for these children. Do you know what God says today? I did, I died for my children that they could live. Jesus came in the same way that it says that God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm rescued his people out of Egypt. The greatest rescue happened on the cross of Calvary when the outstretched arms of our Savior came and rescued a sinful, broken people and said, you're now no longer a slave, you're a son. You're an heir, you're a child of the living God, and it's time for us to recapture that identity again. It's time for us to realize the incredible inheritance and what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian. That means that you're a child of God. That means that your life has been redeemed from the pit. And so today, I would like you just to stand with me, and I'd like for us to just begin to quiet our hearts before the Lord, and I want you to know that God has rescued you if you've called upon the name of Jesus. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness, from the power of sin and death, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Today, as Jesus says, who the son sets free is free indeed. And today, have you experienced the freedom that Jesus Christ offers to you? Because I'll tell you what, if you've been living a life of complacency, if you've only been paying God lip service, then today you might be at risk. That because yesterday's complacency might mean today's captivity. And you call out and you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, but you know that you're enslaved today and you need freedom. God's word is still the truth. You didn't miss your opportunity because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today, I don't know the condition of your heart. I don't know if you've been wandering through this life, just going through the motions, 
and it meant nothing and your heart has grown cold and hardened to God, that you've grown complacent or you're held captive by sin and by addictions and things that have come into your life, I'm believing today that in the same way that God did it on Calvary, that that same power is alive and at work today to bring you freedom in God's presence. He knows. Will you cry out to him? Will you call out to him? There's really three places that we could be today. The first is we could be in a place of captivity, meaning that you're stuck in sin, you're trapped, and you have no hope right now. You don't know what to do or where to go. I want to talk to you first. Today, if you're held captive, you don't have Jesus at the center of your life. You may think you're in control of your life, but if you have not yet given over control of your life to Jesus Christ, then, then you're, just, you're, in, you're in captivity. You're trapped. You're stuck. Sin, the wrong choices you made means that you'll spend eternity separated from God. But because Jesus came, he offers you hope. He offers you rescue. He offers you a brand new life. Will you call out to him today? Today, for anyone that you say, I'm recommitting my heart to Jesus, or I'd like to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time, I want you to lift your hands high and proudly over your head right now, and I want you to say, that is me. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm coming back to Jesus. Lift your hand if you're in this room and that describes you. Is there anyone here? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Is there anyone else? Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid of that decision today. It's the best decision you could ever make. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to repeat these words from the bottom of your heart. Lord Jesus, come and be my rescue. I believe that you came and that you died for me. I commit my life to following you all my days. Thank you for making me a son or a daughter. Thank you for setting me free. I will walk with you forever. In Jesus' name. There's others here that maybe you've been living in complacency. That maybe you've been living and you know that, that your heart is growing cold to God. Today, he wants to revive you. Today, he wants to call you again. Today, he wants you to come back to your first love. And so these altars will be open. And I encourage you, if that's you, don't be afraid that we're all here worshiping God together. You can leave your seats at any moment. Come and just kneel at this altar. Begin to worship the Lord. Begin to lift your hands for him. Call out to him. And others of us here. That maybe you're saying, you know what, I know my identity's in Christ and, and I'm not complacent, I'm excited about where God's leading me. What step do I take? The step that you take is one of commissioning. To be commissioned is, means that you are on mission with him. Pastor Lee was on mission. That means that you are looking for every opportunity that God will bring in front of you to say, Lord, use me. Use me for your glory. Help me lead others towards you. Help me be used. If you're not looking for God to use you, then you're probably being complacent. You're probably trapped right there and you don't even know it. But I'm going to pray for you and pray that God will meet us with opportunity. God will revive us by his spirit and God will set us free in his presence. Lord Jesus, we come and we thank you today that you are alive. We thank you today that your word is truth. We thank you today that although there's an epidemic of complacency that is running rampant, that today, Lord, you are alive and you're reviving your people. You're reminding us of your hope, Lord God. And we thank you for your freedom today for every captive. Lord God. Lord, as they lift their hands to you, I pray chains fall off. I pray they walk in greater freedom than they've ever experienced. I pray that addictions will be gone in Jesus' name. Lord God, I pray that who the sun sets free will truly walk in freedom today. 
Lord God, we pray that you would revive our hearts, Lord God. Fill us with a passion for your name. And that, Lord, you'd commission each one of us to live on mission with you, to look for every opportunity to share you with others, Lord God, that others would come into a life-changing relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.